Thank you for listening to the Kaufman Chamber of Commerce podcast. Our Chamber of Commerce exists to be a catalyst for business growth, a convener of leaders and influencers who make things happen, and a champion for a stronger community. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello, I'm Andrew Jordan. I'm here with Dr. Ben Brazier. This is number four in a series of interviews being conducted by the Kaufman Chamber of Commerce. It's our opportunity to let you uh, get to know maybe a little bit more personally uh, some of our members who live and work here in Kaufman County. We're being broadcast from the Community Life Church on 175 here in Kaufman. Pastor Randy Wade, also a proud member of the Chamber of Commerce, been very gracious to loan us their facilities and their broadcast crew. Um, I've known Dr. Brazier for some time now, and uh, I guess our mothers followed the advice of the great Texas philosopher Willie Nelson and didn't let their babies to grow up to be doctors and lawyers and such. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about the and such part in a little bit, but first I want Dr. Brazier to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about your practice here in Kaufman. Sure. Uh, name is Ben Brazier. I'm a family medicine doc and uh, opened a clinic here in Kaufman in May of 2007. Um, actually originally opened a practice or, or joined a practice in, in Terrell and then moved here uh, basically because we had kind of established a, a home base in Kaufman and wanted to be in Kaufman back in 07. And uh, it's been going great ever since. We just have had uh, a lot of growth and I've added uh, a lot of staff and just uh, felt like it's just done really well. So I've been real happy with, uh, with the practice here. And we just, I tell everybody, we see everybody from, uh, from diaper to diaper. We see the whole family. <laughs> from the early ages all the way up to uh, a lot of geriatric care. I do a lot of nursing home work and a lot of hospice work. I've uh, been doing that for almost 10 years. Uh, and then uh, it's just been going real good. I want to ask you more about that in a minute, but uh, go back farther and just uh, let the people who might be watching know kind of more about your background, where you grew up and how you got sure. into the medicine. So I'm uh, Texas born and bred. I was born in Austin, lived, grew up in South Texas in Victoria. Um, Kind of from an early age, I guess late high school, really knew for sure I wanted to be a doctor um, and just kind of picked a college based on how likely it was to get me into medical school. I went to Southwestern in Georgetown and uh, I went to medical school in San Antonio at UT Health Science Center there. Uh, had a great experience there and then ended up in uh, my family medicine residency uh, was in Waco and so really can't get out of the state, Didn't never wanted to get out of the state of Texas. So I've just done all my training and all my work there. Um, always wanted to be a family doctor. I just, uh, there were lots of choices along the way and we were looking at, I was looking at maybe doing sports medicine or maybe doing something along those lines, but it was always because I, I thought that would be a good way to be involved in the community. Um, ended up kind of leaning more towards geriatrics. I do a lot of, uh, like I said, I just, I feel like I really am taking care of entire families and that's kind of what, what I feel like I'm good at is is establishing that rapport and talking to people and trying to put what is often a difficult uh, situation or a difficult concept and putting it into layman's terms and I just kind of really took to that so I think that's that's part of the reason why I did what I did and ended up in family medicine and so uh, that's what put, pushed me to that area anyway. I know one of the questions I always get asked as an attorney is how long do you have to go to school? So let people know exactly sure. what goes into getting a medical degree and how do you, you wind up focusing on a particular area of practice? Uh, well, it's it's basically to get out into a practice, I'd, I would tell people it's 11 years after high school. So it's four years of college, just a regular old college degree, and then four years of medical school, um, and then a minimum of three years of a residency. And I say minimum because I chose family medicine. So internal medicine, family medicine, pediatrics, um, those are all three-year residencies after medical school. 
and, and that's kind of the minimum that you would want to complete and get uh, to start a practice in Texas anyways. It's just kind of the most common. Um, it's more training than that, but it'd, it'd be all residency training if you decide you want to be a general surgeon or a cardiothoracic surgeon or a neurosurgeon. A lot of the surgery specialties obviously are, are longer. Um, and if you want to specialize in like cardiology or one of the, uh, one of the specialties uh, that's beyond, then you would first do your three years of internal medicine and then do sometimes one, sometimes up to three or four or five more years uh, of training for that. So, so I did 11 years after high school. And like you said, you gravitated uh, to a family or, or a general practice. Uh, what was it along the way that sort of led you in that direction? Or did you know early on that's what you wanted to do? It was, um, my experience as a kid was, was kind of funny. I'd, I had a family doctor that kind of misdiagnosed a broken leg. And How do you do that? <laughs> your legs broke or it's not? Yeah, well, he... Um, was, was he absent that day in medical school? Or? I think he skipped that day. No, he was, he was just a really good guy, but um, I could walk on my leg, and I was a young kid, and so he kind of took that and said, you know, he's trying to tell my mom, hey, listen, I, I think he probably just needs an ice cream, but if you really are curious, we'll just do an x-ray just for, for kicks. And, uh, and it was the most painful experience ever, and I'll just never forget it. And... And he, he was trying to be nice and he ordered an x-ray of just the knee and the ankle, um, which were negative, they were fine, but he, he didn't even order an x-ray of the middle part of my leg, which is the, the lower bones, the tibia and fibula, which is what was broken. So I had to go back to the x-ray machine twice. It was just a, a traumatic story for me. I'm like six years old at the time. And, um, and I'm assuming you got into medicine not to do that, <laughs> exactly. not, not to repeat that. Well, okay. the, the funny part was, even though that was a, a, almost a negative towards it, it was just their his relationship with my family and the way that they still kind of were like you know he he felt like he knew and he felt like he was one of those guys that was was going to be able to to pick those things without doing all the formal diagnostic testing and so i just looked into it i was like how do you get to that point and where do you want to go from there and i just thought the way my family still trusted him and said you know he made a mistake on this time but but he was just so gracious about it and it was he clearly took responsibility for it it was just it just seemed like he was a real person and ended up being obviously extremely helpful with, with the diagnosis once it all happened. But it just kind of cemented in my mind that relationship with my parents and him is, was the most important right then. It wasn't exactly the right diagnosis at the moment. And I thought, well, that bodes well. I mean, I know I can make a mistake or two so I can and still maintain that relationship with, with patients and hopefully move to a point where um, we can learn from our mistakes and move on and still maintain those types of, of boundaries. I remember one of your colleagues told me several years ago that being a doctor was simple. All you have to do is be right about 45 times a day. So yeah, that's what, it. <laughs> what, what, what is the most difficult part of it? I mean, and, and the medical practice is a business as well. Absolutely, sure. Uh, so being a general practitioner, owning your own and operating your own business, what are some of the challenges you face? Um, I think it's just the ever-changing and rapid pace with which there's new information out there, and so. We're constantly learning, we're, we're hearing about new studies or new medicines or new ways of diagnosing. And so for us to maintain our, our point where we're, we're kind of saying, okay, I do know enough about this situation to give you good advice. It's, it's not just about always having it just right here in my head. I've got to know where to look. And so uh, we joke around all the time about how it's, it's no longer, medicine is no longer where you can go to med school and get through your residency and feel like, okay, I've learned everything I need to know. It, it honestly is not. Maybe 20 years ago that was reasonably true, but now it's at the point where you just, you just need to know what you don't know and you need to know where to look to find the right answers. And sometimes that includes, uh, I, I, we joke around about it 
a Google search, but sometimes that helps because it, it takes me to the right websites that I do trust. Um, and then I go back and I look and I, and I look at the studies that make the most sense, but keeping up with all of it is, is, is near impossible. So one of the biggest things that, that's, that you really have to do as a doctor is just be humble about it and just say, I may not know the right answer here, but this is what we need to go forward. This is what, this is what I trust based on these studies or these results, but Let, let's move forward. So a little bit of humility mixed with knowing the right places to look well, it's funny you brought that up because I hadn't thought about talking about that, but we're at a, this part of the information age where we literally, uh, Joe Citizen has access to all the information in the world mm -hmm. via the internet, uh, and a lot of people become, or think they become overnight experts. How, how wary should people be uh, about trying to diagnose themselves or uh, what things maybe it's okay to look at, but not necessarily trust that's out there on the internet? But that's a great question. I, I don't think that there's a... It's not fair for me to say, please don't look at the internet. That doesn't make any sense at all because I look at it for anytime I need legal advice, that's where I go first. <laughs> I'm not, but but I, so I get that and I'm fine with that. I just, I just feel like there's, there's gotta be at least um, a camaraderie and a, and a relationship again that you're saying, okay, this is what I'm seeing. Can you tell me why you either completely disagree with that or does that make sense? Is that new information to you too? And if you can have that kind of conversation with your with your professional, and in this case, medicine, with your doctor, then I think that you're both going to get along great, and you're both going to do well, and you'll still be encouraged, in, in fact, to, to continue looking at your, at your uh, diagnosis, at your symptoms on the internet. But I will tell this, I, one of the things that I try to help people understand is when they say, I think I know my body, I usually tell them, well, let's, let's be fair, I, I probably know your body better than you do, Hopefully I do if I finished all that, that training, but you know your symptoms better. And, and so I'd, if I'm not asking you the right questions, if I'm not pushing the right buttons to kind of get the answers that will help us figure it out, that means that I'm not do it, I'm doing you a disservice by not letting you tell me about your symptoms. So you definitely know your symptoms best, but let's come to a diagnosis together based on kind of what I know about training and, and background and then where to go look combined with what you know. And I think that's the, the safest way to approach it, especially with, like I said, all the new information that comes in every week, every month, every year, we get, we get new information. Well, it, it been one of the things I know that you've been vocal about, uh, you and I have talked about it personally, I've seen you respond to people on Facebook and social media. Uh, there seems to be, for whatever reason, a new conversation about whether or not to vaccinate your children. And the, uh, some folks seem to perceive there's a risk on that. What could you tell us about that in your experience and personal opinion? Um, I, I give a blanket answer of absolutely vaccinate according to the schedule. That's absolutely true. There's, there's no doubt in my mind it's the right answer. Um, I say that with full knowledge though that there's risks of doing anything, including vaccinating. The risks that are promoted are much overhyped than what they actually are. And the way that I find that out is by looking at study after study after study after study, not just taking one study or even a couple of studies, and, but looking at the, the wealth of information that says, okay, there are things that may happen with a vaccine, but, but there's not enough data that overwhelms the, the times where nothing dangerous did happen. So that's why we, we feel like we can say, yes, they're safe and, and say that in a blanket way, even though there's occasional very small risk. And, and I, I'm a, I know there's flaws in it eventually as you break the analogy down, but I'm a fan of kind of the seatbelt analogy. Um, I think that, that there's, there's times where if you um, read the literature close enough, you can find where somebody was injured by their seatbelt you see you know, like the seatbelt sign where they have bruising across here. They could even have internal organ damage 
uh, airbags can deploy and cause damage. It can maybe even, there, there's some studies that suggest maybe it, it helps contribute to whiplash depending on the type of accident you're having. But I don't think anybody would say, hey, you shouldn't use a seatbelt because of the potential for risk. So, so yeah, there's, there's potential for risk. It's just so small and so minuscule and so tiny. And, and the big dangerous things that, that have gotten lots of press in publication like autism, those, those things have been literally proven wrong. So I know those aren't actual risks. So I, so I dismiss those, except that there's small amounts of risk. And I just tell people, listen, you know, we know enough about how immunology works and how vaccines are supposed to work to be confident in, in them working, not to mention the studies that show the near eradication of disease because of them. So we're confident in their, their efficacy. That's absolutely, that's science. And then the safety aspect, like I said, is we're just always taking in more data. So if, if studies come out and show us, hey, this particular vaccine caused this, 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 or this, then we're not gonna just ignore it. We're gonna look at that study, make sure it's legitimate, but then we're gonna compare it to how safe and how good it's actually doing. And, it, and if it's still, yeah, it's causing these minor things, but it's creating this much safety, as scientists, we have to say- Just a basic risk reward. It really analysis. is, it really is. And it's just so, the evidence is so strong on, on the side of reward that all of us as doctors, uh, the majority of us as doctors are, are safe in saying, yes, absolutely vaccinate, absolutely vaccinate according to the schedule. Um, if you do have a very unfortunate, rare, but, but unfortunate uh, bad reaction, um, it's kind of like if you're allergic to penicillin, then you shouldn't take penicillin, you know? Um, but we're not gonna say, let's stop giving penicillin. Right. And, and, but, and so when, when you find a kid that, that has a problem with the vaccine, I'm not gonna dismiss it. I'm just gonna say, yeah, it's still the right choice. You kind of touched on this earlier. Uh, it, medicine is, I guess, in this respect, similar to the practice of law. I just got back from a seminar. We're required, like doctors, to get so much continuing education mm -hmm. every year and stay abreast of the changes in our profession. You and I have been practicing roughly the same time. What's the biggest change you've seen in the field of medicine since you've been in practice? Um, I think I would probably say the push to what's called uh, a patient-centered medical home, and that, that's just kind of a, a big buzzword phrase, um, that was a result of the change in how in, uh, insurances pay for, for medicine. So I think the structure of medicine behind um, how it's paid for and how patients are driving, and it's a bit more consumer-based, I guess is, is how I'd say it, um, it's hard to pick a scientific answer to that because there's been so much advancement with like medicines and procedures and surgeries and things that I'm not even, I, I wouldn't even claim to try to be up to date with the, most of the surgical techniques that are new. But from a, from a logistical standpoint, I would say it's from uh, the consumer based and then how it's paid for has, has changed a ton and it makes it a, a big difference in how people receive their care. Now, obviously, uh, you're a dedicated physician, but you don't practice medicine 24 hours a day, at least not every day. Uh, you and I go back a long ways. Tell us a little bit about some of your hobbies. I know you're an avid hunter as well as uh, have recently gone on some medical mission trips. Yeah, if I could pick a hobby that I would do, it would be travel. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons I go on medical mission trips is I'm unashamedly say, hey, I just like to see new places and, and go to do new things. So I, I do enjoy that. And where um, all have you been? Um, I started going to Mexico with one of our church groups here in town back in 2000, I think five, and did four or five trips there. Then my sister became a missionary in Lima, Peru. So I went to Peru uh, on a medical campaign there a couple of times. Um, 2012, I think I went to, was the first time I went to Ghana uh, on a campaign there in Northern Ghana. And our church still is, is very active there. I haven't been uh, back in the last few years, but, 
but I have gone to Thailand and we're going again this summer. Um, so Thailand is kind of where I'm f putting a lot of my focus right now as far as medical campaigns. So it's, it's been a, a big part of my life. I've, I don't think I've gone on a mission trip literally every year since 05, but it's been pretty close. And so. And uh, you, you and I have hunted together before. Tell us a little bit about some of your big trips that I didn't get invited on. <laughs> hey, that was my uncle's. My uncle's invited me on a trip to uh, Canada and uh, went up to Edmonton and we actually hunted black bears uh, with bow and arrow. And it was great. It was, I mean, you can imagine the adrenaline rush uh, when you're 20 yards from a black bear, but, uh, and I got a little closer than that a, a few times. <laughs> I got some video, I think you probably have yeah. seen that, where uh, one of them tried to climb up in the stand with me. So. There, uh, yeah, that was exciting. That, that was a good trip. Um, but uh, we're thinking about maybe taking another trip like that at some point. But I, I kind of had my fill of black bears, so I'm more of a of a white-tailed deer and and maybe the occasional hog or uh, you know if we if we see something exotic, it's it's more of an accident than anything else nowadays. Well, this is the part of the interview that we call the the rapid-fire questions. You ready? Okay. All right. I'm so not sure if I'm ready. First thing that comes to your mind: boxers or briefs? Oh, I'm boxer briefs. Boxer briefs. <laughs> yes. I've hunted with a guy, so I actually knew the answer to that ahead of time. But, uh, what was your first car? 79 Buick Regal. If you could only eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, filet mignon. Filet mignon. If you were stranded on a deserted island, would you rather be by yourself or with the one person who annoys you most in life? Oh, by myself for sure. <laughs> That's my interview with Dr. Ben Brazier. Again, we're coming to you from Community Life Church. Uh, if you happen to come across this or you're watching it, I'd encourage you to like and share that. We'd like as many people here in our community uh, to get to know Dr. Brazier and our other members as we can. Ben, I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, enjoyed it.